Hello and welcome everybody. My name is Abdullah. I'm co-founder of Silverline Community and your host on the Mean Who podcast, a show that sheds light on the movers, shakers, and shapers of the individuals within the creative and cultural industries. Continuing on our theme on experimentation, we're here today with Saleh Kayali. Saleh is an experienced designer based in London. He spent most of his professional life doing multidisciplinary design, startup consultancy, and content production. He enjoys concept building and tinkering with gadgets. And when the time permits, he enjoys writing to build interactive stories and games, podcasts, and design perfumes. Currently, Saleh is a senior experience designer at London Stock Exchange Labs. With his diverse background and experience in multiple disciplines, you can see why he is a great candidate to speak of experimentation. Saleh, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Abdullah. Thank you for having me. Would you like to add a little bit more about your background? No, I think it was it was great. Thank you very much for that. I'm one who sometimes I do have many challenges in belonging to a certain field or area throughout my professional career. You know, I am now a designer, but it has been moving a lot between, you know, the will to do um, software development, to uh, writing in journalism and producing podcasts and all that. So there's always this thing that is continuously moving. So I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm, I'm very intrigued to know more about what you're doing with London Stock Exchange. Can you explain more about your role? Yeah, well, I, I work in experience design, specifically the user experience design. And uh, one of the most interesting things that are happening right now in financial software development and even in the financial infrastructure, like the exchange, there's an emphasis on design and the role that design plays in designing these kinds of experiences and software that basically represents these experiences. So I play that role of trying to understand customers, what customers want, and try to translate that into the process of software design, different types of software basically it can be used by traders by professionals it's you know different types of professions within within the finance industry to represent what customers want and what customers need and how we can provide the best value do you believe the uh, current financial powers that be are intrigued to to do more experimentation in this field specifically from from, from your perspective because of the advent of blockchain technology yeah, I mean, my understanding of the blockchain is a bit limited, admittedly, but uh, in in general, something that I noticed here in London, and that kind of goes back 2015 or 2016, that there was a success in the startup world that basically was translated into the finance industry in the sense that you start to see a lot of these challenger banks, uh, a lot of these money management applications that are technically startups that played a big emphasis on coming up with new ideas that were not there, uh, basically, in finance and uh, financial applications in, in general, focusing on, on uh, design, focusing on the experience of users or customers. Even the look and feel of these applications changed drastically with this movement. That is basically is also what we see in the other aspects of finance, like the uh, blockchain applications, for example. One thing that um, I'm always interested in, because I looked into it back in the day, 
in banking, and specifically if you look at Coinbase app, for example, you'll see that there's an educational element in there. There is a, a bit of news. And that's something that is new and not usually provided in financial applications, but you see it in a crypto app because the concept is new. And the whole thing about it is that it provides a different way to look at financial applications, not necessarily from this utilitarian perspective, but it's also an app for you to maybe spend some time in. That is also something we see in trading apps a little bit, like the social trading apps. I don't want to name any, but there's a lot of them right now. You see a lot of social aspect. There is a a pro and con for these kinds of movements, but it's interesting to see them um, and to see finance borrowing from sort of non-financial fields and implement that in their technology. Interesting. On a personal level, what triggers you to experiment in a certain field? Basically, interest in it itself. Uh, One of the things that I have been for a while, or I thought that I was struggling with uh, until I eventually accepted, was being interested in so many things. And uh, being interested in so many things meant that I wasn't able to pay full attention on one thing. And that, uh, it takes you some time to go through it and understand it. But basically, that was uh, the main driver for experimenting with it. And I thought, uh, later on, uh, I, I thought that that might be a good way to explore these tendencies that one might have into understanding why do I like this and that and the other at the same time. Uh, experimenting with them will make you really know what goes into them and uh, understand what it really means to work on something and be involved with something without necessarily just, you know, talking about it. And something that is very specific to this day and age is that it is relatively easy to do so. Certain fields like, for example, you know, podcasting and uh, media in general, it was something that I've been always interested in and it was something that uh, I studied, but um, it wasn't until I started working on it and produce, con- produce content uh, or produce podcasts and create my own podcast that I was able to understand the process that goes beyond behind uh, what content means, you know, putting a show means. Uh, these things, you know, you usually learn from school, but also, this day and age, you can learn by just looking up things and, you know, connecting things together and failing and trying again and doing something terrible and trying again until you have a good understanding of that thing and uh, maybe make something great. And throughout this process, what have you learned about yourself from experimenting in different categories? Um, I mean, most importantly, I think it's just that it's okay to be interested in so many things. It's just a, it's just a personality type, and it's not to say because I've been also reading about this, you know, movement that uh, promotes and encourages being a generalist uh, uh, as an individual. And I see, I see the point in that, and you know, it helped me understand who I am. But also to, to emphasize that it's just something that works for. Some people, not everyone, and not everyone, you know, it's not that everyone needs to be a generalist or needs to be specialized. It's it's a personality type. And in this day and age, there is a lot of areas of work, let's say, that accommodate that personality type, which is a good opportunity. Um, so for that, from that perspective, reflecting on it myself, first was to accept it, but also to appreciate the ability that we live 
uh, we're living through right now of being able to access, you know, through the internet, YouTube and all these things uh, to be able to access information and, uh, you know, explore compared to asking people who might, you know, say, why do you have to look into this? It's not your thing. Just stay away from it. No, actually, you have the ability now to go and try it and see for yourself. And with all the accessibility you've had in the fields uh, that you worked in, did you find a common thread between them? Yes. In, in my sort of case, uh, I have been interested in media, design, and technology. And there is a connection between them. Uh, and you can trace that back to the early days of everything. But the what we're living through nowadays is that they are there's an intersection that is happening between them that is becoming really difficult to differentiate what influences the other. And that goes, you know, changes from time to time. But there is a, uh, there's this interest in, in finding why uh, these things are connected. And uh, for me, there have been always these three areas, mostly. In your opinion, why do we need experimental people? And would you trust them, you included? Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> and in, in that case, you know, experimental people, you know, not in the sort of artistic sense in, in defining but what experimentation is, but people who like to try different kinds of things, I think are important uh, just from the sense of being able to provide different perspectives on things. When you're a professional, and that's going back to that example, of of Coinbase and um, you know what what it, what does it mean for an app that is financial to provide educational information for example these ideas don't come if um, people were sort of isolated in the bubble of being specialized in something these ideas come from people who have a different background and just interested in uh, this or that field there's a very good book uh, that just came to mind it's called the, the fuzzy and the techie I think and that book basically promoting the concept of encouraging people who are not, you know, from a computer science background or from a technical background to join these kinds of startups because they can make a difference. They can make a, 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 an effect, a, a positive one in many cases. And I'm always, I always bring up this example of Slack in its early days, hiring theater graduates to basically be responsible for writing for the for the user interface copy, basically uh, UX writing, people from that background were able to provide a different perspective on what it means to communicate with customers, with users. Now, you have to be a certain type of person to read English, for example, and then be interested to work in a tech startup. Uh, and that separation between fields does not apply anymore. And only experimental people who, you know, are not afraid of uh, going into new fields, not necessarily having the academic background uh, in these fields to join and basically just do the necessary training needed to just adjust and provide their perspective. So experimental people, so I think fall into that, fall into that perspective, they can help providing completely different uh, points of view on, on things that are sometimes were causing problems, for example, in technology uh, and how people were looking at design and building software and the responsibility of software developers in, in the sort of uh, societal impact of their work and who is the person who is responsible for that. 
these people, these people who come from different backgrounds, who are who dare enough to sort of venture into new fields. And um, actually, I think that's where they should be encouraged. I think daring is a, is a good starting point. But don't you also think curiosity plays a huge fa- role and a deciding factor when it comes to if we experiment or not? Definitely. So that's that is something that is it depends on people, but I think it can be encouraged. And surprisingly enough, because I have a a, a, a daughter now, she's four, and we, I mean, at the nursery and uh, you know, parents, we as parents, we try to encourage that in children to be curious about everything. And this week, they learn about you know, what does it mean to to plan something and wait for it. The week after, they learn about bees. And through time, I think we take that out from children that curiosity, because we are curious creatures by nature. So we are interested in, in, in so many things. And I think keeping that is key. And um, I do not believe that, you know, curiosity is something only specific to a certain type of people. I think it's in, in all children, but it's just, it's taken away from them. What we really need, and that's why I think it's, it should be there by default. We should keep it and nurture it, encourage it. But what comes after that is these because of the modern sort of way things are right now in terms of industries and uh, academic fields and uh, education and all these things together, what makes that specific to daring is that not being afraid of, you know, saying, you know what, maybe I can do this. What do I have to do? I'm curious enough. What do I have to do? I maybe need to read this or that book or take a course. And there is, that's the thing. Nowadays, that access exists. And it's relatively cheap. That can do wonders when these people dare to sort of venture into these new areas and uh, see what happens. And there's also there's appetite because on the other side, there's appetite to, to, to encourage this multidisciplinary view on life, if you will, into, uh, in, into work and uh, what it means to be doing certain type of thing for 10 years and then changing that for the, uh, for the you know, next 10 years. And so what do you think are the best or the main ingredients to inspire a spirit or a culture of curiosity and experimentation? I think uh, as much as possible, trying to keep that in children and make sure that it grows with them throughout their education and uh, keep their mind open about what they need to do and uh, um, how they learn and what it means to, to learn even. But at the same time, there is this concept of keeping an open mind into other fields. And that comes, you know, as, you know, as you grow, things become easier. It's like finding new friends. Things become harder to find new friends as you grow older. And this is where we should fight, basically, because as you're um, isolated in your professional bubble, whatever it is, you're risking you're risking not being able to uh, be exposed to these other things that are happening out there. And that should be also encouraged. Speaking of encouragement, we can safely say that you are a member of the creative industry, right? Yeah, if you say so. I mean, it's, it's very interesting, these, these, these classifications. I don't work for the creative industry, so professionally I'm not. But uh, I like to believe that I do certain uh, things that, you know, are creative in nature. If that's the case, and because of your passion when it comes to experimentation, Mm -hmm. do you ever worry about your intellectual property in some of your projects? And if so, do you think worrying limits your horizons in experimentation? 
I definitely lean towards the latter. I think worrying is is a, is a killer for creativity. And I, I tell you a, a quick story because nowadays things are completely different and ideas are not the original thing. I don't think if they've ever been, but uh, what really matters now is uh, not just execution, but even more than that is nurturing whatever you come up with uh, and believing in it to the degree of, you know, it will protect itself. So there are certain standards, like if I write a book and someone goes and copies the book and releases it under a different title, that's a clear theft. And, you know, this is the kind of things, this is the kind of things that you're not necessarily should be worried about. You should not be worried about this because it's a clear theft. Uh, what, what happens with creatives, unfortunately, in many cases, that they think they're, whatever they come up with is so original that uh, it should be protected at any cost. And there might be a million reasons for that. It's not that it's a completely unreasonable thing to do. But I think fighting it is is what matters here because I'll tell you a quick example. You know, when I, I got into building, as you mentioned in interaction, that's how I defined my, myself in building interactive experiences. And I sort of designed a game. And my goal was to be able to go through that learning process of creating that game and building it and releasing it. And then decide if it's something that is worthy worthy of me sort of doing everything I can to protect it. It is protected on its own by just making sure that you have created something from A to Z and released it. Um, because people, when they steal things, it's, it's very clear. Everyone else can, can identify that. The worry is usually, or in my case, would have been if I sort of, in my mind, I created this fascinating experience that I'm sure that no one else will copy or make a make any make a, any similar experience to it, and think of it as the only thing in the world. While in reality, and this day this day and age sort of shows us that this is exactly not the case. And there's it's almost more likely that maybe ten more people have the same idea that you have, regardless of how original it is. Well, we do have more than seven billion people right now so exactly what do you think is the most common misconception about experience design design that you would like to correct well experience design is a, is a huge field uh, it's definitely a new field and uh, it's always uh, it's a bit higher than user experience design which is mostly uh, aligned with software development most of the time although it shouldn't but Many people, because of the word design in there, mix between that and um, interface design or graphic design. And it's something that corporates still suffer from to this day. Experienced designers are thought of as some people with some graphic skills who are, you know, young and hip and all that. So their job is to make things look pretty. While in, in reality, um, experienced design, especially in the modern sort of business world, is becoming concerned with every single touch point with, with customers and whatever that means, you know, from hotels to the whole of, you know, uh, the, the tech industry that we see today. So some of it might be face-to-face, -face, other aspects might be on software level. And understanding that is, is a huge asset that companies still trying to find the best way to, to, to incorporate in their systems and in the way they function and uh, in the way that people perceive the word design there. So I think that's one of the main misconceptions about, about experience design itself. Thank you, Salah. I'll leave you with one last question. 
Go ahead. What are you experimenting with lately? It's been for the past couple of years. It's been definitely uh, game making. Um, I'm I'm an amateur game maker, and I released a game recently. I'm continuing to learn more about that. Um, basically, um, or specifically, uh, narrative design and how narrative can be baked into into interactive experiences or games. So there's a technical aspect, which is learning how to develop games and make games and all these things around it. But also there's a there's an a, a, an abstract aspect, if you will, which is about narrative and how narrative changes experiences. Saleh, may you never lose your curiosity and may you pass it on to your daughter. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time and contribution to our community. Thank you.